This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, one of the most haunted places in Canada. Wow, this is a conversation that's going to go on and on because there are so many. Author Mark Leslie's written about Canada's true ghost stories, the impact they have on their communities, and why ghost stories are so incredibly interesting for all of us. What's the difference between a politician and a public servant? Newly elected Calgary City Councillor Jasmine Meehan joins the shift and highlights why Canadians are feeling frustrated with federal governments and the big things that can happen at the municipal level. Are you okay with school assemblies? Crisscross applesauce. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you okay? Still kind of Halloween, not quite quite Halloween done yet. You know, I did learn a uh, wicked lesson today with Halloween. What'd you learn? Don't book an interview on Halloween at 6 p.m. when there's a two palm cheese, mostly chihuahua, in the house. Nothing gets done. Doorbell, doorbell. Are you okay with doorbells? Ding, yeah. Ding dong. Trick or treat. Bark, 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 bark. Oh, hang on. Okay, so tell me about the ding dong. Trick or treat. Bark, 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 bark. Nothing gets done. That was a lesson learned by me today. My goodness. <sighs> uh, the guy on the guitar is getting real tired. Is he getting tired? Okay. Are you Scott okay on his with fingers. School, school assemblies? Oh, I had such, I, I, okay, 90% of my school assemblies were awful. I mean, they were either really boring or very, very religious. So it was hard to get anybody really, you know, I went to Catholic high school, so nobody really cared. Uh, but I had one that changed my life. I had one that changed my life. I, what I can't remember his life? name. Clearly I can't remember the name. He was the drummer of the, he was a drummer of... What was he? It was a big band. He used to be the drummer, I think, for the Smashing Pumpkins. I think, and Jimmy he Chamberlain? went on this. I, 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 maybe I'll go back and see if I can find it. Anyway, this guy just had this thing about trying to find optimism in high school, and for me, at grade ten, I was feeling so lost. And it was like, and he like posted his phone number. He's like, text me, give me an email, shoot, you know, talk to me after if you're feeling weird. It was an amazing assembly. And they got that one out of the way in grade 10, and the rest of them were terrible. <laughs> so, wow. Well, trying to find optimism yeah. in anything doesn't sound like anything that would come out of the Smashing Pumpkins, to be honest. So I don't think it yeah, was no them. Um, yeah. I just I skipped a lot of the school assemblies. We would like run out, you know, run out the side door and go to the plaza yeah. next door and then come back after they were done. It was always different. Like high school was different because in the high school gym, there was bleachers. Right. So for the most part, you got to sit in the bleachers. But when you were younger, it was crisscross applesauce on the floor. I mean, that makes everyone hate sitting on a floor for the rest of your life, man. It's damaging. School assemblies can be hit or miss. Right. I mean, some of them were cool. It really depended on your principal or whoever hosted them. They could be informative. They could be very, very boring, maybe helpful, inspiring or funny. Not quite sure where this assembly all fits in together. But parents in Kentucky are confused and a little upset after a school assembly at a at Hazard High School had students dress up. It also has a typo. 
That's a typo. Oh, no. Um, just not in the way you might expect. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm going to do that again so it makes sense. Hazard High School had students dress up, just not in the way you might expect. You can see the images of teenage girls dressed in Hooters costumes carrying what looks like beer. Teenage boys dressed as Cheech and Chong holding what looks like a joint. And students giving school administrators like Principal and Mayor Happy Mobellini lap dances. Oh, wow. <laughs> what kind of <laughs> high school is that? <laughs> yeah, guys, these pictures are wild. Okay. It sounds like a pretty good sales meeting, but not a... Not really a high school assembly. Um, the activities were part of homecoming festivities and were driven by the students. Parents are upset, but the students seem to be a little bit more chill about this entire situation. Yeah, but like it wasn't like meant to be like actually anything sexual. It was just to a joke to get more laughs so we could win. We actually made sure that it was out with all the teachers before we done that. And so same with the alcohol. I, th- I think that everybody's taking it way too far. Like the parents have, like calling everybody names. It's it's really taking the fun out of it for us. The photos were posted to the Hazard High School Athletics Facebook page. While the pictures have since been taken down, Superintendent Sandra Combs says the investigation into the homecoming pep rally began Wednesday morning. In a statement, Combs described the events as lighthearted activity that simply got out of hand, going on to apologize for what you see here. Combs also outlined three steps she says the district is taking to prevent future issues like this one. First, she said appropriate disciplinary action has been taken following the investigation, saying this is a personnel matter, so they are not allowed to disclose specifics of the discipline. Second, Combs said moving forward, a student activity committee will be developed to review all student-led activities, which should prevent any such skits from being performed in the future. Lastly, Combs said the district will use this as a teaching moment. They will now provide social media training for students and staff. Um, that's not social media training that they need, by the way. <laughs> that's life that's stuff. Yeah, uh, The district has not identified any of the students or staff involved, instead simply referring to them as, hey, miss, can I get another beer? According to the Louisville Courier-Journal, the student's principal, Donald Happy Mobellini, was involved and is mm-hmm. pictured in one of the images. Mobellini, who is also the mayor of Hazard, of course, did not immediately respond to a request for comment on Thursday, maybe because he was still hungover. A city spokesperson could not be reached either. <laughs> He's wow. probably the spokesperson too. Yeah. <laughs> Happy Hazard yes. High School. Uh, wow. I feel bad for the kids because I imagine most of those kids uh, are gonna like look back on this when they're adults and go, "Why do we do that? That was so gross." Like um, you don't really understand it when you're younger. You really don't. Yeah, yeah. But if you're already doing servers dressed as Hooter girls serving beer and you're in high school. I don't want to sound cold and callous, but certain areas of the world tend to not change much. And I would assert that it's possible that this is exactly how the rest of their lives will go. Alla, the principal and mayor of Hazard, being a part of it. I was just going to yeah. say, yeah. 
It's how new mares are born here in Hazard. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking this actually could just be nothing but a grooming process for the next principal or mayor here. I mean, I don't want to sound too cold, but let's be honest. What's going on in Kentucky? (laughs) Well, now you know. Are you okay? Are you okay with the bullpen? Um, I've never been in a bullpen. Not really. I played baseball when I was really young. Uh, I tend to usually, if I see a baseball game live, I often, if I get good seats, they're by the bullpen. And it's just very distracting because I'll hear the sounds of the bullpen and it'll take me away from the game. Uh, I don't know why that it's so visible, uh, but it's a very important part of baseball. Yeah, I was going to say, you get good seats, but they're by the bullpen. Those aren't good seats. Bullpens are typically in the outfield. They're typically pretty far away from the action, except sometimes they're on the sides, but most of the time they're pretty far away. I seem to remember the last Jays game I was at. No, that was bullpen. was really distracting. We we were like front row. Yeah, but you'd be front row in the outfield if... Are you talking about the dugout? Oh, the, totally the dugout. Yeah. Yep. See, now you're talking That's about the dugout. Gonna, Those would yep. be good seats, yeah. I thought yeah. we were going to play a clip about a work bullpen. I, am I lost here? Oh, yeah. I thought you we might were still talking that. about work. I thought yeah. we were still talking about work. Okay, uh, let's play the clip. Why not? Because, hey, we're all talking about different things. I'm going to slide on that slippery floor all the way from Holt's office to the elevator. You're going to do the FBP. That's right, Rosa. I'm doing the full bullpen. <laughs> Uh, okay, so that's what I thought we were talking about, was the work bullpen. Ryan thought we were talking about the dugout, and Brendan Kelly seems to be talking about the actual baseball bullpen. What are we? Which one are we talking about here, Ryan? Uh, let's, uh, well, work bullpens, uh, I, I kind of missed that, actually. The newsroom bullpen was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, we're talking about baseball bullpens in this particular okay. story. No. So not the dugout. No, not the dugout. Okay. Ignore him. Yeah. I don't do sport good. <laughs> Ryan's an athlete. Um, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, PETA, has issued a statement now on this year's World Series because nobody asked PETA what they thought about baseball. <laughs> nobody really asked PETA what they think about a lot of things, to be honest. In so general. they thought they would just step in and offer something up. They are now urging Major League Baseball to change the name of the bullpen. The statement reads, it's where the pitchers warm up. The statement reads, words matter and baseball bullpens devalue talented players and mock the misery of sensitive animals. PETA encourages Major League Baseball coaches, announcers, players and fans to change up their language. So what do they prefer the bullpen be called so the bull's feelings don't get hurt? The arm barn. <laughs> See now, the arm no. barn? 
I'm opposed to that because a barn is where they keep animals encapsulated and imprisoned. So they should right. actually be opposed to that too. That's a stupid suggestion from PETA. So hypocritical. I do think well, I, it actually ha- is kind of catchy, but well, specifically Canadians. Catchy. Yeah, can you imagine though, like a bunch of Canadians playing baseball in February? Just oh, well, bud, you got to get in the arm yeah, barn, or you're not going to throw right. I love that. You got to warm up in the arm barn. Get out there, man. Get in the arm barn. <laughs> exactly. But okay, so just to be clear, bulls are have feelings, and pitchers don't. You can put the pitchers in a barn. You can't Ooh. put bulls in a pen, but you can put humans and pitchers into a barn and treat them like barn animals. Yeah. Well done, PETA. Clearly well thought out. Anyway, if PETA wins anything, which they never do, the bullpen will be replaced by the arm barn maybe next year. It's not going to happen, but hey, let's try to make them feel better about it. Arm barn. Oh, can you imagine being on the East Coast eh, and get the arm barn? Oh, the arm barn, <laughs> bud. Oh. Arm barn. Are you Okay. I find these stories amazing. Are you okay with DIY home renos? I've never been a part of a DIY home reno. The closest I've ever come is uh, renovating my shelves by building a new one out of Lego to display sneakers on. That's the closest <laughs> I've ever come to renovations. I've like my parents have renovated the, uh, a house before, but not D- nothing DIY. Okay, cool. Well, one day it will come. It's completely understandable. Sometimes you need to get handy because you put in a little elbow grease, you know, make it all nice and fancy. Whether that's building Lego or painting, doesn't matter. It's still a reno. Sometimes it could go wrong. Sometimes it's your fault. Sometimes things don't work out. Sometimes you're terrible at it. This story, though, is not the fault of the renovating homeowner at all. In fact, uh, RCMP responded to a home in 70 Mile House on September 30th. When they got there, they saw something very interesting. A truck tire and rim had careened from the roadway and smashed through the front window into the house. According to police, the tire was still hot when it came to rest inside. Nobody was injured except for the home that was badly injured that was under renovation from the family that was doing it at the time. RCMP are asking if anybody has dash cam footage of the event for evidence, and it probably looks crazy, of course. I mean, that thing come flying off. I don't understand, though, why RCMP are asking, hey, by the way, if you drove by 70 Mile House and you're missing a tire, call us. <laughs> we would like to speak with you. You're not in trouble, but you might be. At this time, it's believed that the tire came loose from a vehicle uh, proceeding northbound on the highway close by. And um, it's amazing to me because... Most truckers follow the rules and do their walk-arounds before they do their shift, right? I'm pretty sure at the end of the day, you get to your destination, you don't go, uh, pretty sure that there was two tires right there, not just one. Oh, well, must have miscounted. It's not how that works. Last year, a driver on the 401 was very, very lucky to survive after a tire came crashing through her windshield. I was just... Driving down the 401, and in a split second, I saw a tire. I believe I saw it bounce once. I could be incorrect. I saw it bounce extremely high, and it was coming down right at my windshield. I, as quickly as I could, took a look to see if there was anywhere that I could go to escape this tire and not cause injury or accident to anyone else, and it just... I looked back and thought, this is it. I am going to die. This is the end. 
You are lucky to be alive. And what do you think about when you see that? I, I am just... I thank God that I'm alive today, and I thank all the wonderful people that stopped immediately to give me some support and assistance. Wow. Police say it's possible the tire came loose uh, due to a winter to summer tire swap. Again, I bring up this question. How do you get to your destination with four tires on your car? <laughs> or leave your de- leave your origin with four tires, get to your destination with three tires, and go, oh, yeah, that's pff, normal. Well, thankfully, in that circumstance, the truck that lost a tire stuck around. You know, it, 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 it the accident was well, responded only, to and everyone was okay. But the missing tire is still... Couldn't go far. Exactly. but that, So that's why the other one with the tire hitting the house is so interesting. Because how did it keep it's driving? Amazing. It must have been. Maybe it was a spare that bounced off the back. Maybe it was a, a, yeah. a dually. Um, something like that. But no, it My couldn't goodness. have been a spare because it was hot. Oh well, unless it the rolled, tire was maybe? hot. That's a good point. Unless it bounced off mm. and it rolled that far that it was hot. I don't know. Mind blowing. This is the Shift Podcast. There are so many spooky places around this country. We often hear about ghost stories. We hear about all these different things. But we really don't know the deep-rooted stories inside Canada. Canada has a pretty remarkable history in so many places. We'll take a top-down view all across Canada. Mark Leslie, he's an author. He's in uh, Kitchener-Waterloo right now is where he lives. But you write about places not just in KW, um, all over the places. And, And it's pretty fantastic. Thanks for being here, man. I really appreciate it. Oh, Shane, thanks so much for having me on your show. I um. Where do we start? There are so many places on your list of books that you've written about scary haunted. Um, I, d- I don't know where to start. So why don't you tell me a little bit about how you got into the scary, the haunted, because you don't just write the nonfiction um, documented experiences of haunted places. Right. You do write fiction as well. Yeah. I mean, I started off writing fiction. You might want to call it twilight zone stories. Uh, yeah. I like this, the bizarre, the weird, the unexplainable. Uh, and I've always been afraid, I suppose, of the monster under my right. bed. Uh, I still am, actually. As, as a matter of fact, we don't have an underside of the bed. We just have the box spring mattress. We're fine because no monsters can hide there, and that—that's just perfect for me. <laughs> so it wasn't until um, it wasn't until I actually was in Ottawa and I went on my very first ghost walk that I fell in love with the concept of telling true ghost stories, not made-up ones. Because previous to that, I would hear a ghost story and I would turn it into fiction. But uh, when I went on the ghost walk that starts on uh, Spark Street in Ottawa, the Haunted Walks group, I was so inspired by how fascinating our history, Canadian history, which had always seemed boring to me, but how fascinating it could be with the ghosts, with the ghost tours down, uh, you know, downtown and the parliament buildings and the canal and, and everything. And, and I think I learned that to tell a good ghost story you really have to dig into the history and learn about the history. So it kind of fulfilled two things for me. I learned a lot more about cities I've lived in, uh, but uh, I did it in a fun way, you know, with the, the chilling tales that people love to talk about. It is exciting. And okay. All of the naysayers that will say, but that's not nonfiction, right? These are people's stories and maybe they believe ghosts aren't real. They don't believe in mystical things, whatever. Um, and that's fine. It doesn't have to be for everybody. 
But I just want to clarify, and I'll just I'll, I'll say it right now, and I'll just declare it right now. Remember, um, nonfiction is just an agreement, right? It's widely agreed yeah. to have happened. That's what agreements are. And so, um, and that's the same thing. That's the same definition of what is a fact. A fact is widely, widely accepted to be accurate um, by definition. So yes, you can't have somebody's nonfiction story about their experience um, be a true story and not be fabricated. So um, it is a bit of a crossroads, but at the same time, it's kind of worth noting that inside our experience of all these things, just because someone says it isn't so doesn't mean it's real, but just because someone says it isn't so doesn't mean it's not real. Um, our experiences of it are the truth. So it's pretty kind. No, excellent point. Yeah. Uh, John Robert Colombo, a mentor of mine, a uh, Canadian storyteller, he, and he holds up his hands in air quotes says tales told as truth, meaning the stories that I share and the ones that John has shared in his books are, are things that happened as told by people, tales told as true. Whether you believe them or not is, is even sometimes part of the fun. Well, it is kind of the magic, right? Whether we want to believe them yeah. also, we can throw that layer on there too. Why not? Okay, so <laughs> for a guy who doesn't like the scary things, um, this seems strange for me for a career choice, but okay, whatever. Hey, you get to do whatever. your thing. <laughs> um, so let's get started because you know some of the places we broadcast to, places that I've lived, are on here as well. Now, I'm speaking to you from Ottawa. You just brought up the Ghost Walk in Ottawa. Um, tell us about Creepy Capital. It's one of your books. And uh, is this sort of really where it all got started for you in this? Yeah, it, it truly is. It was it was down on Spark Street. And it was looking at the, uh, the actor dressed in Victorian garb, carrying a lantern and starting to tell the story of a murder that took place on Spark Street, not too far from where we were standing. And she took us around downtown. And I was scared to death, but in love with the stories, just the, the rich history. I mean, you've got the one of the most haunted buildings in Canada right downtown on Nicholas Street. You've got the old uh, the youth hostel, which was the old Carleton Jail, which is allegedly one of the most haunted buildings in Canada. And if you're in Ottawa, you can stay overnight there. You can stay in an old converted jail. No. Cell. Now, yeah, well, my partner Liz and I, when, when I was researching for uh, Creepy Capital, because I'd lived in Ottawa for a long time, but then I had to go travel there to do the research. She said when we were on the Ghosts and the Gallows tour that the, the Haunted Walks group does, she says, oh, my God, we can stay here next time we come to Ottawa. And I said, no, you can stay here. I'll be in the Novotel across the street with the, all the lights on and a big Maglite flashlight. Because, again, she's she doesn't believe yeah. Uh, and she loves the stories because it's just fun for her. For me, I'm actually scared of <laughs> scared of the dark. That's funny. How does that work in a relationship when your whole career is wrapped around something that your partner doesn't believe in? Holy, <laughs> uh, that's okay. It still it still works because she still enjoys. Uh, she wants to see stuff, right? right? She she's curious because she wants to see something that'll convince her. And I was like, I don't want to see anything. I'm good. Yeah, I'll just take the story. Well, that's where most of us always come to this, right? Is most of us get the the um the grounded um reality of the likelihood of all the things and whatever imagination and brain science but then something happens to us and we experience something and it makes us go well actually <laughs> right like and so we get that moment of, yeah. of where it goes okay let's let's take a trip down uh towards uh haunted hamilton now hamilton Yes. Niagara in general is close to us. Brennan Kelly, uh, the content producer, uh, he was raised in St. Catharines. I worked in the Merritt House. I did radio in the Merritt House. And oh, wow, that was cool. a crazy experience. Um, Ryan O'Donnell's from Burlington, a uh, content producer. So we all have a connection to that little pocket. <laughs> um, for me, my time in the Merritt House was mind-blowing. 
the things that that happen in there. Um, you mean strange things or just really great radio? Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it was a great radio. Uh, I was only there for a year, so it couldn't have been that great. Um, uh, no, strange things. Absolutely strange things. There was a story really? when I, I was... I went in to record late on a Friday night. There was no one else in the house. The janitor was there. Um, and we went through janitors like every two weeks, I swear. And um, really? I walked in to record. I heard the vacuum stop. So I opened up the door and I just yelled out. I was like, just so you know, I'm in here recording. Didn't want to startle you. And then uh, and then the janitor replied back, said, oh, I thought I heard someone upstairs. And I was like, nope, wasn't upstairs. Like it was just oh, ev- wow. every single every <laughs> single time you were there. I was at the top of the stairs, big spiral staircase. It's a mansion. And um and all of a sudden, my dog got spooked, literally ran down the stairs, peeing all the way out the back door. Didn't want to be in the house anymore. Had been in the house for a couple of hours. Everything was fine. Dog got spooked. Um, just it was wow. not to mention the stories and the photos. If you look up some of the photos. So tell me about Haunted Hamilton, Ghosts of Dundurn Castle and, and other Steel Town Shivers. Well, uh, it was funny. Uh, in, in the research, I didn't really encounter uh, many stories about Merritt House, so I didn't do a chapter on that. But I'm making notes as you were well, talking. Going, okay, I'll give you a whole bunch. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. I'm gonna I'm gonna be calling you back off air. No problem. Um, yeah. So that was I was living in Hamilton at the time, and uh, and I'd gone on the ghost walks there with a local group, and um, I was just so fascinated. I moved to Auto- um, Hamilton recently from Ottawa uh, to open up a, a chapter's uh, store as one of the managers. And my wife at the time was from there and I wanted to learn more about the city. So the best way to learn about a local area is to go on the ghost walks. And I talked to the group and said, Hey, you guys have some great stories. You should write a book. And they said, well, we're too busy, but we'll give you our research if you want to write your own. Um, and what I love about the Hamilton area is the war of 1812 figures so prominently into the history, right? You've got the Niagara region, St. Catharines, Hamilton area, so, so much violence, so much, so many deaths, including hangings. And even and, and one of the things that I was fascinated about Dundurn Castle is the staff and the owners of Dundurn Castle, they're happy to talk about how they're related to the royal family in Britain, but they're not at all pleased to talk about any of the ghosts, including one of the most famous ghosts, which was reported in the Hamilton Spectator, was the wedding guest. And, and it was from a column, uh, Paul Wilson's column uh, from way back when. There's this really cool picture of this uh, wedding party because Dundurn Castle is such gorgeous grounds. Mm-hmm. The beautiful picture of the wedding party. And then you can see this face, which they believe may be Sophie, one of the daughters uh, of the original owners who had died. And, and so the thought was that maybe she was just wanting to hang, hang on and, and, and enjoy some of the happy moments as opposed to some of the sad ones she had had. It's remarkable. And the list goes on and on. It's a book's worth. By the way, Dunder Castle is one of the uh, so incredibly beautiful. It's kind of a White House looking mansion. Uh, it yeah. doesn't look like the White House, but it's kind of a White House looking style of, of mansion. So if that gives you any context to what that looks like. Um, I lived in Sudbury as well. And Sudbury oh, wow. has, uh, I did radio <laughs> in Sudbury. So it's like a radio tour with ghosts involved. Um, so tell me, uh, tell me about this one too, as we head up north. Oh, Sudbury was uh, amazing. You've got the the Bell Mansion uh, and the singing, <laughs> the singing woman in the Bell Mansion, which is a beautiful museum right now. You've got the Sudbury Theater Center, and there is a wonderfully beautiful story uh, of an actor who never made it to opening night. Unfortunately, Sydney had a heart attack and died. But ever since that happened, uh, they always greet. You know how in in uh, the Shakespearean uh, realm, you never say Macbeth. You always say that Scottish play because there's death yep. and darkness it's bad associated luck. You can't with say it. it. 
But at the Sudbury Theater Center, the actors uh, and the cast and the staff who work there, when they leave and when they come in, they say good morning and good night to Sydney. Because Sydney forever walks the plank, the planks, the boards, yeah. treads the boards uh, on the stage That's after amazing. he had uh, passed away. But what surprised me about Sudbury, which, which which shocked me, was the UFO activity. Again, again, a lot of the ghost stories are sort of unexplainable, right? We're not sure what happened. We believe it's a ghost because we can't explain. My dog peed, whatever yeah. happened. Just like, I have no idea what that noise was. I can't explain it. And UFOs may are a similar thing, but... Oh my God, the UFO activity in Sudbury was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and I remember it was, uh, they actually sent fighter pilots up from, from Colorado Springs uh, to intercept these three lights over the sky in Sudbury. And this was 1976. So I was, I was just a wee one uh, back then. I think it was, uh, yeah, I was seven years old. And I do remember uh, hearing about that in the paper when I was a kid. That's so incredibly cool. I mean, the history of Sudbury is fantastic. All right. So other books and other locations here that are included. Um, you do have Ottawa. You have uh, Macab, Montreal. And then you have yep. haunted hospitals. Now, this is hospitals, <laughs> sanatoriums, other institutions. Uh, this is where we can kind of head out west towards Vancouver, too. So tell us about haunted hospitals. Well, it was kind of funny. I was actually in Calgary at a, a writer's conference when words collide, when my co-author, Rhonda Parrish, we were, we were chatting. I was a guest of honor for that. Um, and she leans over to me and whispers conspiratorially, I live near a haunted hospital in Edmonton. And I leaned back in and said, tell me more. <laughs> and the next thing you knew, we were talking for hours, sharing ghost stories, and then uh, pitched you know, the next day I pitched the book to uh, the, the publisher. But uh, so you've got uh, the Charles Campbell Hospital uh, in Edmonton, which uh, has uh, quite a history and even some of the renovations that are attempting to be done on that. But, but what I've even found with so many hospitals is hospitals, when you think about uh, death and you think about, because a lot of people believe that ghosts are the spirits of the departed. Right. That's a, a common theme. This is the place we come into the world and we go out of the world regularly, right? People die Every and day. are born in hospitals. Yep. And even when people don't die and are born in hospitals, really impactful emotional things happen. Happy things, births are very happy. People recover from great surgeries. They, they you know, they in car accidents or some, some sort of trauma and then they are healed in hospitals. So there's great things happen and obviously sad things happen. And, and one of the other theories of ghosts is that it's really an impression in space and time in terms of a trauma that happened. And so that's what you get. Now, I'm going to take you back to Hamilton for a hospital uh, before we go back out mm -hmm. west. And, and, and one of the, sometimes the stories I get, like the one you shared, I get when I'm at a book signing or at a library event or a talk. And oftentimes people will kind of hang around afterwards and share a story with me. And, and I heard from a security guard at the old uh, lunatic asylum up on the mountain in Hamilton, uh, which is the uh, Century Mansion, also known as. And it was already closed down and he was on a shift and he was working there. And he ended up hearing voices and he was there to prevent people from breaking in, you know, like teenagers wanting to have a, a scare going to the old abandoned hospital. So he's wandering through. He hears voices at the end of the uh, at the end of the uh, aisle or the end of the hallway. And he goes in and he opens up the door thinking he's going to surprise some teenagers. And he sees two women in old fashioned nurse nurse uniforms. They turn, they're, they're talking to one another. The one turns, looks at him, looks back and said, see, I told you he would hear us. He slammed the door closed, not sure what to do, was kind of freaked out. Then he opened the door yes, again and they were gone. Um, he quit that night. 
<laughs> he phoned his boss, went to an old pay phone because there were no cell phones back then. And he's like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Fantastic. Um, that's to my point about the cleaning people, right? We had new cleaning people all the time as we did right. that. Okay. So take us out to the West coast because there is some Vancouver in that story too. Yeah. So if you've ever watched uh, the TV show, Supernatural, if you have ever uh, watched, uh, I mean, almost any horror movie that involves a beautiful old Victorian style hospital, you're going to hear about the Riverview Hospital in British Columbia, and that's in uh, Vancouver. And that is continually used as the set of uh, TV, TV and movies. And, and it's in uh, a colloquium. Sorry, my, my apologies. And uh, X-Files, Fringe, any of those shows, lots of horror movies. Well, because they shoot movies there. There was uh, one story that I collected was from um, uh, someone who was working on the set of a movie. And there were, there were two really strange things that they had seen there. One was they would constantly see uh, when they were outside a light come on in this room that nobody was ever in and it was constantly locked. And every time they went back up, by the time they got up to the top, the light would go off. And another time was this ghost dog. That would occasionally appear out of nowhere. You could, you could hear it. You could see its eyes glowing in the dark. And you could hear it running towards you. And they would tear off expecting this dog to tear into mm. them. Because obviously dogs can run faster than humans. And it never did catch them. But it scared, it scared a lot of people uh, who came to that hospital over the years. So it's kind of funny. I, I wonder, and this happens a lot, right? Because they're going to be shooting horror movies and scary things after dark. I think even the first season of American Horror Story may have been filmed. Uh, sorry, the second season of American Horror Story was probably uh, filmed in that location. It does look very familiar. I've started to recognize it in certain movies. That's fun. But when they're after dark, that's like right when you were working the midnight right. shift. Well, guess what? That's usually when that's usually when the creepy things happen. The creepy things do happen. Um, there are so many places. Do you feel inspired at times? Or at least this is sort of an endless trip for you? Because, I mean, you've got the ghosts of... Uh, Gastown. I mean, there Gastown, Vancouver has got this endless list of buildings and and ghosts. The, the old spaghetti factory is on there too. Oh, um, yeah. You know, the waterfront station ghosts. I mean, train station ghosts are another one you could probably do a whole book on train station ghosts. Um, or crossroads in general, right? I mean, that's what it's a powerful. You think about crossroads as a powerful place where where energies collide. Yeah, and well, that was the story of the Merritt House in St. Catharines. Was always it was a crossroads because it had. Uh, tunnels for the Underground Railroad, right? And so right. Uh, uh, slaves would escape into Canada through there. There's an awful lot of stories about how people would, that's how they would get into Canada. They would hear stories about how people uh, would die, like slaves would die in Canada, but they would die free. They were so uh, uh, so sick uh, from the travels and and from escaping that all they did was make it into Canada and they would die in that house, right? And, right, um, and yeah. not make it out. So you do hear that crossroads as being a, a big thing. And I was also going to bring up to you uh, the Banff Springs. Now I go to the Banff Springs regularly. It's one of my favorite places to go. Um, and I love it there, but the stories in that place as well, well as all of the Fairmont properties for that matter. But <laughs> yeah, I think, all yeah, have one. <laughs> and, but again, you're talking crossroads. So do you feel inspired that it's a, like, it's such an endless list. I mean, you could be at this for a really long time. Um, you know, you, and, and again, you took the Shadow Laurier as well. Um, my partner and I did stay there and we did wander around at three in the morning, taking pictures yeah. and stuff for the book. Uh, fortunately, we didn't see anything uh, except the CBC studios upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Banff Springs, for example, the stories are like there's missing rooms, right? Because bad things happen in those rooms and they've actually taken the yeah, doors and the numbers away. Over. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and that is uh, that is one of the other ones. And and there's also a there there is a there's usually always a sad story too. It's usually uh, somebody who worked there. And I believe one of the stories from the Bamp Springs was was um, a maid who had worked there. Uh, and 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 there's usually some sort of love <laughs> involved yep. with sadness. And the and and sometimes you hear the echo of her cries uh, in the night on certain floors. But yeah, it, it's it's amazing. So the other thing about hotels, when you think about a place like Banff Springs, is just you're overwhelmed with emotion when you go there. You can't go there and not think just how beautiful it is. I've only been there once, and fortunately, I hadn't heard the ghost stories when I was there, so I was fine. I wasn't scared at all, uh, but I, it was beautiful. When you think about how many thousands of people have stayed in a room, so even if it's not haunted by some historic ghost, there's all kinds of things that happen in hotel yep. rooms. Just think about the impressions in space and time that different people can leave and the different emotions that they may be wearing and sometimes leaving behind. Um, so again, even if you're not a true believer in the ghosts are, are, are you know, the spirits of the, of the departed, there may be other things that can explain what a, what a ghost might be. And it may have to do with uh, impactful emotions, yeah. crossroads, all of those things. That's exciting. I, I mean, at the Bath Springs, there are hotel rooms where the door frames are shaped like coffins. Mark Leslie, just give it a, give it a Google. And if you like the, um, if you like the fiction stories too, there's a long list of fiction books too. So um, a lot of fun. And I really appreciate you being so generous with your time and sharing it with us here. Um, I do look forward to digging into some more of these as they, uh, as they come up. Well, thank you so much, Shane. It was a pleasure chatting with you. This is the Shift Podcast. Not only this fall were there elections around the federal government, but there was this little municipal election that happened in all of the big cities in Alberta. And, um, and it was a big deal in Calgary. It was a big deal in Edmonton. There are, every single major city in Alberta has a new mayor. Now, the satellite cities, lots of them, um, you know, had incumbents step in and all that stuff. So the reality is, is that we have a lot of change on the horizon. I think the citizens municipally have spoken. We think we saw that with Nova Scotia, too, right? Like provincially, the next provincial elections are going to be like fireworks to watch. So people have stepped up. I've always said to you, what are you going to do about it? My guest right now is Jasmine Mayan. Mian. Got it wrong right off the bat. I have a friend who's a who, who's a who's a Mayan, and Jasmine is a Mian. Um, my apologies, Jasmine. Thanks for being here. Hey, no worries. Um, so you've you've been elected as a councillor in Calgary, brand new. You have that new councillor smell. Um, congratulations on all your hard work. You did it. Thank you. I mean, really, the work is just beginning. I think uh, if you're doing. Uh, public service right you're you spend the campaign really getting to understand what are folks issues and uh, at the city level there are often hyper local issues right in our community and I think for me doing a campaign right after the pandemic never in our history I think have people spent more time in their own backyard and in their own communities so there was a lot that was set on the doors and now I have the amazing job of being able to bring forward their voices and and uh, advance some things that are important for where I live. Now, people who are listening to the show in Hamilton, Ontario would say, Shane, why do I want to hear a counselor from Calgary? Well, here's why. A, we all have counselors in our cities. And so it's great to learn from all of the counselors and municipal representatives what they get up to. B, there is a very good reason that I want everybody to hear. We'll get to that in a second. Jasmine, you've stepped into politics. Are you mad? 
<laughs> are you crazy? Like, why would you do this? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think now, you know, politics used to be a pseudo noble profession. You know, people had still faith in politicians, you know, 20 years ago that they saw them as leaders, as people who would drive real change. And I, I do think that we're losing that over time. I think we've like, there's a crisis of, of public trust right now, I would say across the board. And I still have a lot of hope and faith in local government. I think when you can make changes exactly where you live, you can be very close to the people that you represent. Um, it's often the case that, you know, federal level ministers will not even live in the area in the riding in which they represent. That is that is more common than people think. Um, but local politics is where you can really make some very important change. And if it turns out that I can't make important changes in this role, then I will I will leave because I think what I want to do is is really help help my city, help my community. And I think when you go into it with that perspective, um, you know, the thing things are actually pretty simple. They're not easy, but they're simple. As a counselor. Do you feel like you get, or at least you're hoping to have your own voice when you look at an MP, you know, the biggest thing that you hear now would be the puppeteer, right? Um, as an MP, you don't have a voice. You need to toe the line. And I think there's very much evidence to your confidence thing when we look at the Minister of Environment and Climate Change being a guy who was arrested for climbing the Alberta Premier's house, right? Like that is so absurd that somebody uh, whose behavior has been like that has not only been elected, but become a... A, a cabinet minister. So as a local per, I'm not asking you to comment on that. You can if you want, but as a local person, does that allow you to sidestep some of this political oh crap? I'm just, it's political crap. Yeah. I think not having parties is a huge, and, and, and every municipality is different. There are certain municipalities that do run in a party system, um, but most don't. Most you have an elected official who represents your area. Oftentimes it's called wards. That's what it is in Calgary. And many municipalities, in particular Calgary, has what's called a weak mayor system, which essentially there's 15 votes on council, one of whom is the mayor, and the other 14 are the people who represent the various wards and what you choose to bring forward. I mean, if you can find eight other votes, you, you can get stuff done. And so um, that's really exciting. Um, but, you know, there's certain, there's all types of folks who have different agendas. So your ability to work closely with other people and, you know, make decisions that really are mutually beneficial. Like I think that can often be the filter um, at the municipal level. Whereas in a party system, I mean, caucuses are whipped, um, the, the leader often has has an agenda that they're trying to push. And, you know, that sort of to your point, like, do these people actually have any autonomy um, is, is a very important question. So you said in your tweet and what inspired this conversation was and I'm going to paraphrase it. You can correct me as appropriate. But basically, what is the difference between an elective official and a politician? And that really struck me. I'm the person that says. I want a government that runs Canada, not, excuse me, I want a prime minister that runs Canada, not the government. And we're seeing the business of politics take over in such a way. Share your thoughts with me about the difference between an elected official and a politician. So I do have to give some credit to Shane Keating, who is a former counselor um, at the city of Calgary. And I always admired his approach because I didn't find him overly political. He made decisions on the basis of evidence. And uh, he, he had this great line and it was that there's a thin line between an elected official and a politician, but a big difference. And I think that uh, you quickly learn going into this, this job um, 
that you, you can totally it's you get so much power when you when you do get into a, a role like this, whether it's a city councilor or um, an MP or other other roles where you actually can enact change. And there's there's certain things you always have to remember is that you are serving the public. You you take an oath to the city and to serve the city and the interests of the city over your own. And unfortunately, and then this is where I think that things, when people act like a politician, they can advance what they perceive to be their own interests um, over and above what are the interests of the in, in of the collective or the common good. And um, I think we see that all, all the time, unfortunately. And uh, certainly that's what, what led me to, to make the comment that I did. Do you think you can have that change to have that impact and, and maybe lead the lead the new path? Well, I certainly hope so. And I think that what we have to always remember is that we ha- we have to do that for the sake of our democracy. And, you know, we have this great democratic system that in a lot of ways is the jewel of the world, you know, that, that so many people in so many other countries would love to have a democracy the way that we do. But the only way that it functions in a healthy manner is if people understand the significance and the weight of the job. And are always, uh, you know, checking themselves and, and what they're working on um, with, you know, does this truly align with with public service? Um, is this an, an interest that that serves myself over others? Um, and that is something that only you can do internally as a person. And that has always been, you know, a guiding star for myself. Is 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 this the, was is is this what an elected official would do, or is this what a politician would do? And that's not to say that as a politician you don't be political. Like it is that is also you know you have to wield political power sometimes to get things done. Um, but it should always be in the service of of the greater good. It's refreshing to hear. I don't think we get to hear it very often. I think we often hear it on the other end, right? The politicians that come out. The MPs that come out and they're just jaded and bitter and they've had enough and they quit. They're done. So there's a layer, Jasmine, of uber nerd going on here um, in all of this political thing um, for you. Um, I love it. It's fantastic. So how much of a politics nerd have you been? Did you always want to do this? Well, I had always been interested in politics ever since I was young. For some background for your listeners, I'm also an Olympian. And I think I always thought that politics was just interesting from like, I would be like, oh, it's the red team and the blue team. Like, I don't even think I understood what was going on in terms of the politics, but I was just um, enamored with the idea that based on what the public desired, that they could, you know, put leaders in who could drive an agenda that was representative of what people really wanted. Um, And so I've always been really, really interested in politics. Um, But I, I also think that, you know, there's, it really has to be in service of, of not just not just that agenda, but also recognizing that when you're put into this position, like the things you get to do in, in a job like this, you get to see so many things, the information that you get. Um, it's, it's so it's such a position of privilege and of power and just always making sure that you're sort of checking that that ability um, and that you're driving forward something that really is um, a positive change. For those that don't know, your Olympic career was in wrestling. So which way does this go? Do the other counselors get a little fearful when you give them the look because they don't know if you're about to take them down? Or does the cafeteria at City Hall have broccoli and chicken breasts baked only for lunch every day? Which way does it go? Well, I'm retired now, so I <laughs> don't have any more Kentucky coffee. Fried Chicken. Yeah, I eat whatever I want, so that needs to be really clear. Um, but uh, you know, I think 
I think when I got into this, I, I also have a master's degree in public policy. Like I, I love politics and I love policy and how to make change. I think I thought that um, having that background in, in politics or, or in, in policy would be very helpful. Um, but you realize how much more of the job is, is similar to sport, especially the campaign. And I think campaigns are very different than governing. Um, one of my concerns about the way that we elect is that the things that folks look for in um, in a political representative are actually sometimes the opposite of the traits you would want for someone in governance. So sometimes in governance, like the most important thing is that you actually can look at something with impartial eyes and be persuaded on the basis of evidence one way or another. Um, but if you but but really what folks often ask for in, in a campaign is that you are sort of really come down really hard. Like, what are you? Are you a this? Or are you a that? And yeah. I actually, in my campaigns, never made any particular promises, especially as a municipal official. People are always like, well, are you a righty or a lefty? Like, I want to know what what you what you are. Yeah. And I said to them- We understand well, it better when we can put you in a box. Exactly. And I said, you know what? Like, my commitment to you is to always make evidence-based decisions. Sometimes those are going to be right-leaning. Sometimes those are going to be left-leaning. It kind of depends on the context and the circumstances. But I'll always be able to point to evidence as to why I made the decisions that I did. And you might not like all of them, um, but that's, that's, and it's going to be informed by, by what my constituents are telling me. And that resonated. And I think that what we are seeing from the electorate is that people understand that like you can't make all these grand promises. And in fact, they're quite tired of politicians making promises that they can't yeah. keep. And so I think for a lot of folks, it was refreshing that I didn't show up on their doorstep and say like, yeah, you know what? Like, I'm going to get across rock built right here for you. You just wait. You know, I never, I tried very hard to sort of say, I will look into that and I will do what I can. Um, and I'll, I'll see what the trade-offs are of this decision. And then if I can drive this forward for you, I, then, you know, that's something I will certainly consider. And I think that was a lot, people preferred that. Um, and especially because in politics, there's, there's this real, tension between people that, uh, you know, in your workplace, if you were to walk into your workplace and just make certain demands of how things had to be, no one would want to work with you. And I heard over and over at the doors, like I would, I would just like to see a little bit more professionalism, a little bit more collaboration, especially, you know, we've been through a pandemic. There's now more than ever, we've, we've really needed elected officials to work together. And so when we face these big collective problems, uh, we really need to see our leaders actually lead. And sometimes that's collaborating, even if you don't want to collaborate. Does a career as an Olympic wrestler, tactically discipline-based, uh, set you up for an ability to maybe read people, uh, read situations, and just look at them a little bit differently than everybody else does? Because to me, I got to tell you, I mean, you would have an entire career of being able to stop at a situation. You have your evidence. Of course, that's probably tape of the your competitor watching them wrestle, right? So in this particular case, you have your evidence over the situation, call it a crosswalk or whatever it is. You have all the evidence, you looked at it, and then you're looking at these people that are either against you or looking for more proof. You can evaluate, you could be disciplined and patient because letting skyrocketing emotions get the handle of you on a wrestling mat doesn't help you. Totally. I think it's a lot of emotion regulation for sure. And then there's also a million different ways to win in sport. And, uh, you know, it, you don't, some people are technical, some people are really brutish, some people are more strategic and, and there's a lot of different ways to deliver for, for your constituents. And, um, it's not always like, a no, sometimes it's not right now, or, you know, yes, now exactly is when we need to drive this through. And, and so just building that trust with folks and giving them really the time that I think that 
they deserve. I think one of the biggest challenges of being an elected official is that the second you're elected and you have all these great ideas for what you want to do for your constituents, you're hit with like the larger level macro problems of this of the city or the institution of whatever you're you're representing. And so I think that a lot of times the local issues and concerns continue to continually get left behind for these bigger things. And so remembering at the end of the day, who elected you, um, that's something that's going on right now at the, at the city. Uh, we're, we're picking different committees and commissions we want to sit on. My constituents did not elect me to sit on, you know, certain fun committees that I want, might want to sit on that are just interests for me. They elected me to get work done for them and just always keeping that perspective. It's very refreshing. I'm excited for you. Thank you. I am. I, I, I am. I, it's nice to hear. Um, I don't want to say pragmatic because that sometimes withdraws an emotional connection because there's this underlying passion that you carry. And I'm very excited for what it brings for the city of Calgary. I'm very excited to watch where your career goes. I'm very excited to see where you lead others in this. And um, I, I just, it's, there's a level of kindness, there's a level of passion, and there's a little bit level of I'm not quite sure if she's going to punch me in the face. <laughs> you know, I like to keep people guessing. So That's right. And so I mean that lovingly, and and I think it's fantastic. Uh, Jasmine Mayan is, oh, I did it wrong. Jasmine Mian is here again. I've got a friend named Mayan, and I've got trying really hard to get it right, um, is uh, the new counselor in Calgary, ironically replacing the exiting Jody Gondek, who's the mayor in Ward 3. Um, I'm excited to see where this goes. I, I'm encouraged by the example that you're taking here and whatever we can do for you, you're welcome here all the days. Well, thank you, Shane. Thanks for listening to the shift podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple podcast, Google podcast, Spotify and curious cast.ca. 